Howdy, listeners. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio, talking to you from coast to coast, Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. we got a pile to cover this show, so it's going to go fast. You better have your pens and pencils out. Number one, we're going to have our founder's quote, and then we're going to have our rant story, which kind of ties into the whole rest of the show here, because I have really good news for you on the election front, but there's some troubling possibilities when it comes to a huge October surprise. And we're going to go over the history of energy, the history of energy, particularly here in these United States. And why am I covering the history of energy? Well, let me tell you that that's on the ballot, as you'll see when I tell you the rest of the story. You're voting for your future, your finances, your currency, your freedoms, your family, and your security in all sorts of ways. And we'll review very quickly where all these races are sitting at and the incredible matches. I'm talking about up to 74x. Unbelievable that are offered by many of these candidates and other donors. On the rightsideradio.com, right at the top of the home page, click the take action. It'll bring you right to these incredible matches for candidates as we go into the final two weeks, which are critical. And then, of course, we're going to have rat-a-tat-tat. So let's get started. First of all, the founders quote, Benjamin Franklin, good old Ben, in free governments, the rulers are the servants and the people, their superiors and sovereigns. You know, next week, I'm going to share with you a lot of information which has come out in this failed Durham trial of Dushenko, the guy who was kind of the precipitator through steel of the so-called dossier. And it is going to, it's going to curdle your blood, let me tell you. Because a lot of stuff came out with exhibits, and particularly exhibits that weren't used in this trial. But good old Ben is right on. The problem is, the rulers have forgotten that. On the ranch story, I told you last week about this pond and how we kind of adopted, improvised, and overcame a whole bunch of last-minute obstacles. Well, you know, the inlet to this culvert that we installed is kind of heavily sloped on both sides of the channel, where it drains into the culvert. And we place rocks in there. And the rocks are kind of pounded into this soft clay soil and serves as bank armor, particularly when the pond gets high and there's more flow going to the culvert. And we spent a lot of time on that. I went up there the other day, and much to my surprise, three of the big rocks that had been placed in the bank had somehow come dislodged as the flow from the pond to the culvert increased and they had fallen down and blocked the flow, and the pond was rising, putting in jeopardy the rest of this kind of rock-retaining wall that we had built. And the moral of this story is, even when you think something looks really good, even when it looks the most promising, there will be a surprise. And if you don't catch that surprise in time, and you're not prepared for it, it can wreck everything you've done before. We're going to apply that to the election news I'm bringing you, and the potential, shall we say, for desperate globalists and democratic Marxists to try and upend the red wave that's forming. But first, how about the history of energy? You'll find a lot of this surprising, and it will explain a lot of the things that are going on right now. In 2000 BC, the Chinese were the first to use coal as an energy source. In 200 BC, the Chinese were the first to develop natural gas as an energy source. In 200 BC also, the Europeans harnessed water energy for the first time to power grist mills. And in the first century, the Chinese are the first to refine petroleum, believe it or not, from oil seeps. In the 10th century, windmills were first built in Persia 
to grind grain and pump water. And then in the 1590s, the Dutch built huge windmills to drain land. You know, the Dutch levees keeping back the sea and the low-lying Netherlands. In the 1600s, the development of coal coke in England kind of spurred iron production, and it helped pave the way for the Industrial Revolution. In the 1700s, coal starts to replace all the other forms of energy that were then in use. In 1712, the first steam engine is developed in England, and it was developed to pump water out of coal mines. Later on, it would revolutionize the shipping industry. The first commercial coal production in the United States begins in Richmond, Virginia in 1748, and in 1800, the process of electrolysis was discovered. Basically, the development of hydrogen energy and hydrogen fuel cells from the use of light and compounds. In 1821, the first natural gas well in the U.S. is drilled. And in 1830, coal becomes the primary locomotive fuel in the United States, displacing wood, which had been used prior. In the 1830s, the first coal-powered iron forges are developed in New England. In the 1830s, ethanol becomes the most popular lamp fuel in the U.S., displacing whale oil. In 1838, the first hydrogen fuel cell developed to generate electricity. And you know, it's kind of interesting because hydrogen is one of those things that could power literally all the vehicles in the world. And we're not going there. Why? We'll talk about that. During the 1850s, windmills become the most popular water pumping tool of Western homesteaders and the railroad builders. You know, they needed water to resupply the steam engines. And there was no water out on the dusty plains, so wells were drilled and powered by windmills. You can still see them today. In 1859, the first commercial oil well was drilled by Edwin Drake in Pennsylvania. And kerosene begins to displace all the other lamp fuels. Remember, widespread use of electricity for lighting was not then in play. In 1860, this is unbelievable, the first solar power system was developed in France, and it produced steam to drive machinery. In 1870, John D. Rockefeller, ah, our buddy the globalist, forms Standard Oil, and he begins to develop petroleum as the major energy source in the U.S. And he laid the groundwork to gain absolute control for Standard Oil over the entire industry and every phase of the process of the industry. In fact, by 1879, Standard Oil controlled 90% of all United States refining capacity, as well as the majority of the rail lines between urban centers in the northeastern U.S., believe it or not. You know, I covered him when I did my series on the history of the robber barons. Type that in the search bar on ontherightsideradio.com. In 1876, the first demonstration of electrical generation directly from sunlight through a selenium solar cell occurred. Pretty amazing. 1882, the first electric plant is built by Thomas Edison in New York, right? Edison Electric. By the way, that only powered about a square mile of Manhattan, but it gave power to J.P. Morgan, the stock exchange, and the nation's largest newspapers. Oh, a little elitist cronyism occurring even back then. The very first windmill to generate electricity was developed in Cleveland, Ohio, by a guy by the name of Charles F. Brush in 1888. And the world's first geothermal district heating system was built in Boise, Idaho in 1892. And then came 1901. This was the birth of the modern oil industry. The Lucas Gusher and the discovery of 
the Texas vast spindle-top oil field, you've probably heard of it, is underneath the salt dome, which, by the way, also happens to be the method of storing the strategic oil preserve. In 1906, the Free Alcohol Bill is signed to promote the use of alcohol as an alternative to gasoline. So now you know where ethanol started, right? And interestingly enough, in the studies in the few years that followed that, these studies found that much higher engine compression ratios, in other words, a lot more power, could be achieved with alcohol than with gasoline. So why is it that we don't use alcohol? Hmm, we'll get to that too. On May 15, 1911, the United States Supreme Court dissolved Standard Oil Trust for engaging in monopoly practices. And in 1924, here comes the government, the first federal law established to control pollution in the oil industry. Then in the 1930s, alcohol fuel really took off because corn dropped to like 8 cents from about 40 cents, and farmers were desperate to sell their crops. Well, in stepped the government and up-ramped alcohol production. In 1935, the Hoover Dam, the world's largest hydroelectric power plant, is built. In 1938, the government comes in again. Natural Gas Act, the first direct federal regulation of the natural gas industry. In 1942, the first controlled nuclear chain reaction, right here in America, Albert Einstein and physicist Enrico Fermi. And in 1946, the government established the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission, the AEC. By the 1950s, natural gas had become a major fuel in the United States. There was extensive construction of natural gas pipelines. And then in 1951, the first nuclear power reactor to generate electricity was built in Idaho. In 1953, the first silicone solar cell, this is like the grandfather to the solar cells and solar panels we know of today, was developed by Bell Industries at Bell Laboratories. In 1957, the first commercial nuclear power plant starts its operations in Shippingport, Pennsylvania. And in 1958, the first U.S. satellite in orbit utilizes solar cells for power. In the 1960s, General Electric develops hydrogen fuel cells, boy, here we're back to hydrogen again, to generate electricity for the Apollo and Gemini space missions. And in 1960, OPEC, right, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, was formed in Baghdad, Iraq. January 28, 1969, this is like the first big oil spill, the Santa Barbara oil spill, and it draws national attention. And, of course, the environmentalists hop on it, and they've been hopping on similar events ever since. In 1970, based on the then-current science, the then-current known extraction methods, oil production peaked in the lower 48 states at 9.4 million barrels. And in 1973, three years later, came the OPEC oil embargo against the United States. Gas shortages, rationing, prices went up 400%. Of course, they had been under a dollar before then. And this was caused by the United States' support of Israel in the Six-Day War. In 1973, the Trans-Alaska Pipeline Authorization Act was passed to increase domestic oil supplies. It was a direct response to the OPEC oil embargo. And in December of 1975, Gerald Ford, the then president, forms the, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and signs the Energy and Policy and Conservation Act. By the way, it's kind of interesting given Joe Biden's use of it, the sale of it to China, lining his pockets of he and his son to the detriment of U.S. security in all sorts of ways on the verge of war in all quadrants of the planet. 
for political purposes to try and temporarily drive down the price of gas prior to the elections. This is what Gerald Ford said about the strategic oil preserve when he started it. The mere existence of a large operational reserve of crude oil will deter future oil cutoffs and will discourage the use of oil as a weapon. In the event of an interruption, introduction to the market of oil from the SPR will be expected to help calm markets, mitigate sharp price spikes, and reduce the economic dislocation that accompanied the 1973 disruption." In 1977, the government formed the Solar Energy Research Institute. Also in 1977, President Jimmy Carter, the peanut farmer, he delivers uh, his famous energy speech. You know, wear a sweater, turn down your deal, we're running out of energy, the end is coming, and will be the greatest challenge our country will face during our lifetimes, etc., etc., etc. March 28, 1979, the Three Mile Island nuclear accident in Pennsylvania. This began the public opposition to nuclear power. In 1980 and 81, the the world's first wind farms were built, in fact, in New Hampshire. The world's first large-scale solar thermal power plant began operations in Daggett, California. And construction began on the world's largest wind farm in California's Altamont Pass. And this is where they discovered that wind farms kill birds. In this case, by the thousands, even by the time it was just 30% complete. Then in 1986, we have the largest nuclear accident ever, right? Chernobyl, in the former Soviet Union, now Ukraine. Oh, well, here we are, Ukraine. And March 24, 1989, the Exxon Valdez disaster in Alaska. In 1994, the U.S. begins importing more petroleum in terms of a total than it produces. In 1997, the first electric cars made available to the public for lease and happened to be by General Motors. In 2003, President Bush... He unveils what's called the Hydrogen Fuel Initiative to promote hydrogen fuel cell development. You know, somehow this hydrogen, which is really efficient and really works and is really cheap, doesn't seem to go anywhere despite a lot of prodding and prompting and discussion. In 2005, the U.S. Congress shuts down drilling for oil in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And in 2007, and I brought you this in the history of climate change on the rightsideradio.com, the IPCC, a corrupt United Nations-based outfit, concludes that climate change is happening and is mostly human-caused. And then under Barack Obama, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009, you know, kind of like the COVID stuff now under another Democratic administration, contains billions of dollars, a lot of it hidden, for renewable energy and so-called energy-efficient developments. By the way, does that kind of sound like the Inflation Reduction Act to you? Well, yeah, it's kind of a repeat. I could hit the other historical high points since Obama was elected up to now, but you're familiar with them. Obama basically began the process of shutting down the fossil fuel industry in the United States, as he promised he would, with his henchman, of course, Vice President Biden. And now, in Obama's third term, with President Cadaver out front as the foil and the shield, they're continuing the process. Is it really about energy? No, it's not about energy at all. It's about control, and it's about control through energy. And of course, Donald Trump relaxed regulations, expanded drilling, expanded production. We became energy independent and an exporter for the first time, 17 million plus barrels per day. Let me tell you the rest of the story, because all this has a definite ending. It has a definite ramification. If you want to see the future, let's look at Germany, New Zealand, and the UK. 
just as examples of what's coming at you and what's planned for you. They came up with the 2050 No Carbon Emissions Plan, which now several states have adopted and the United States is barreling down the road to, and which Germany began, really, 10 years ago. Let me tell you a little bit about Germany today, and that will give you a taste for what America will be tomorrow if we don't slow the Green New Deal freight train down so that it's a sustainable transition. And let me tell you about New Zealand. New Zealand was the very first country to adopt the zero carbon plan. And 10 years ago, they said that by 2020, they would cut their carbon emissions by 50%. Well, billions of dollars later, remember New Zealand's only a country of 7 million people, give or take. Billions of dollars later, their economy is in a shambles. Their energy supplies are almost non-existent internally. Inflation is rampant, and they've only managed to cut their carbon emissions 2%. The equivalent in United States dollars and United States population would be $5 trillion. That's $5 trillion per year in Germany, which began this process 10 years ago also. Let me tell you a little bit about what's happening in Germany. Germany is a wreck, and the EU is following close behind with the exception of just a few countries that, you know, have living brain cells left. Bill Gates wrote in 20, August of 2020, you know, I mean, right in the middle of the pandemic, which he was to blame for or partially to blame for. As awful as this pandemic is, climate change could be worse. The relatively small decline in emissions this year makes one thing clear. We cannot get to zero emissions simply or even mostly by flying and driving less. That kind of give you a taste? Well, in Germany, you see the collision of two unstoppable trends, the same trends that are in the United States right now. Number one, the rampant printing of fiat money. And number two, the strangulation of energy production. Because energy is the lifeblood of an economy. And the economy is the lifeblood of debt repayment, which is what printing money is. Did you know that in the United States, discoveries, oil discoveries, are at a 75-year low? Take a look at New York. They have untold reserves of natural gas and petroleum that they could reach by drilling and fracking, but they have outlawed it, and New York is broke. Basically, the United States government and the governments of the world, mainstream media and the mainstream media of the world, and universities and the universities of the world are trying to do a massive policy transformation of our all our economies. They want to end all fossil fuel lease. They want to end all fossil fuel use. They want to take carbon emissions to zero, which, by the way, is impossible. And they want to establish renewable energy. By the way, flipping back to New Zealand, they're doubling down on the plan that's failed. So now they're going to be carbon-free by 2050. Well, let me tell you, that's, that's going to cost that little country $19 billion a year. And do you know what the net effect on climate change is? It's 0 0.004 degrees by the year 2100. So basically, New Zealand is going broke for nothing. The same is true in Germany. They began their attack on fossil fuel use in 2010 under Angela Baby, you know, a WEC global leader and Klaus Schwab disciple. In Germany right now, the cost of electricity is up 87%. The cost of natural gas is up 150%. And the overall inflation rate in Germany is 33.5%. And this, of course, has been exacerbated by the United States' blow-up of Nord 1 and Nord 2 pipelines. Gee, you think a little globalist planning is in play here? A little globalist movement of chess pieces? 
It is no wonder that the greatest inflation period in U.S. history, other than now, was in the 1970s following the OPEC oil embargo, which we just talked about in the historical part of the story. So the point is, is that the powers that be know exactly what they're doing, and they know exactly what the effect is going to be. And there's models out there, New Zealand, Germany, and others, which shows us and them exactly what the end result of all this nonsense is going to be. And it's not good for you, and it's not good for me. There are some analysts out there who think that with what's going on, oil could go to $500 a barrel. $500 a barrel. Fuel could go to $50 a gallon. There would be shortages of fertilizer. There already is. That's a supply chain manufactured crisis, you know. And did you know that one half of the world's population would not be alive today without the fertilizer production in years past? Gee, does this have anything to do with, like, lessening global populations? Think about how much food would cost here in the United States if it costs $20,000 to fill a 500-gallon fuel tank on tractors or other farm implements. Or how about the trucking industry that brings you all your goods? Or the railroad industry? Did you know that the disaster Germany is facing? And, I mean, they could lose hundreds of thousands or millions of people this winter through both lack of food and lack of heat. Their strategy has been an economic catastrophe, which is growing worse by the day. Germany doesn't have a lot of sun compared to tropical countries. So wind, they figured, would be the major source of green power. Now, you know, there's a huge input of concrete and aluminum needed to produce solar or wind farms. And that, folks, needs cheap energy, gas, coal, or nuclear to produce. Gee, Germany closed down their nuclear plants, too. Germany and all its problems are despite the fact that Germany has 30,000 wind turbines, more than anywhere else in the European Union. And the average useful life of a wind turbine is about 15 years, depending upon the make, the structure, and other factors. So by 2025, an estimated 25% of existing German windmills are going to need replacement. And guess what? There's no place to dispose of them over there either. It just so happens in Germany, think about the United States now and our automobile industry, their push to end gasoline and diesel transport by 2035 is going to destroy their largest and most profitable industry, the auto sector, and millions of jobs. And what are they accomplishing? The lithium-ion battery-powered vehicles have a total carbon footprint when you consider the manufacture and the degradation to the earth of getting the battery put together and all the production that's needed for that. I mean, those big excavators aren't going to be working on, you know, batteries, folks. Of as much, if not more than, the fossil-fueled cars that supposedly this is all replacing. So Germany and the EU are imposing new carbon taxes, allegedly to finance in this, uh, to finance this transition to zero carbon, and that's going to further increase the cost of electric power and energy, ensuring a faster collapse of German industry. Merkel's, you know, Ursula baby, her climate advisor Joachim Schnellberger, in 2015 he presented this radical green agenda, and he advised the EU on the placement, the implementation of their green agenda. In a 2015 interview, this is their climate advisor, he declared that science has now determined that the maximum carrying capacity of a sustainable human population would be 6 billion fewer people on the planet Earth. Quote, in a very cynical way, it's a triumph for science because at last we have stabilized something, namely the estimates for the carrying capacity of the planet, namely below 1 billion people. This is a start to gel with you on all the things with COVID and the jab and the other 
kind of wonky things that are going on in terms of the rapid rise in all-cause deaths and the seeming indifference of the elites, the ruling class, and the globalists to starvation and freezing to death by people in northern climates all around the world? Did you know that French President Macron, January 2021 World Economic Forum, the Davos Group, you know, he claimed that, quote, under the current circumstances, the capitalist model and open economy are no longer feasible. The only way to get out of this epidemic is to create an economy that is more focused on eliminating the gap between the rich and the poor. Hmm. I think what they mean is they take from those that have and they give to those that don't, and they take a whole bunch out of the middle for themselves. Listen, I can give you loads more stats. I don't need to. I think you get the general picture. So you see, the powers that be know exactly what the end result of what they're trying to foist on America and Americans will be. And it's intentional. It has to do with population control. It has to do with absolute control. It has to do with their profits and their power. And you can already see the ramifications. There was an OAN story. Diesel is down to a 25-day supply. Think about what happens when diesel runs out, folks. No trucks. Few trains. The distillates of heating oil are greatly reduced. In fact, it's now being rationed on the East Coast and its price has almost doubled and is still going up. Ooh, not fun for winter. And then, of course, we have the morons around the country who are prohibiting more natural gas hookups, despite the fact it's the cleanest fossil fuel there is. And then we have Gavin Newsom saying, well, we'll pay you 400 bucks a year because of your increased energy costs. Oh, and that money's coming from where? Remember the collision of the two freight trains, monetary policy and energy policy. In the end, there's only one way to fight this. Well, there's more than one way. There's only one peaceful way to fight this, and that is the elections, which brings us to where we are at in those elections. The good news is the red wave is forming. It might be a tsunami. We are now ahead in five of the seven contested governor races, and the other two were virtually tied. We are now ahead in virtually every key Senate race, and two are virtually tied, including Tiffany Smiley up there in Washington going against Patty Murray in that blue stronghold against that 30-year incumbent progressive Democrat communist. Some candidates are beginning to pull ahead uh, relatively comfortably. Rubio, Kerry Lake in Arizona. If you go to the Take Action page, and I urge you to do so, right at the top of the homepage on the rightsideradio.com, click that link. There's a whole list of candidates, Congress, Senate, governorships and a few other state offices which are key around the country and there's links that you can click to contribute easy easy peasy and there's some huge multipliers we're talking about anywhere from 2x in the case of blake in arizona up to 74x for ted budden in north carolina and jd vance in ohio i mean it's amazing you put in 10 bucks and you contribute 740 dollars to the campaign folks dig into your pockets This is cheap money. This is like a coffee and a half. Hopefully not at Starbucks. Now with this red wave forming, with this tsunami in the governorships, in the House, uh, possibly in the Senate, with this forming and with a bunch of court cases over the last two months which have mostly gone decidedly in our favor, election court cases in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, all the way from local courts up to the Supreme Court with the recent ruling by the New York Supreme Court that the mandates for vaxes 
the, you know, the COVID jabs are illegal by New York City and New York State. And not only that, New York City and New York State, has, they have to reinstate all the employees they fired with back pay, with interest. If you take the culmination of all these things, the aggregation of all these quickly moving events, it doesn't look good for the Democratic Marxists. And what's a Democratic Marxist to do when they are ideologues, when they are the lapdogs of the globalists who control both their purse strings and their thinking strings? What are they going to do? Well, they're going to do everything they can to try and stop that red wave. And you know, if you take the dots out there, if you take their absolute lack of compassion for starvation around the world, for freezing to death around the world, for the economics of people all over the world because of their upside-down energy policies, which we reviewed in this show. What is left for them to do? Well, there's voter fraud, and that's already gearing up in a number of places. Did you know that uh, Colorado is apologizing for sending out 30,000 registration forms to illegal aliens? Oh, it was just a mistake, you know. And then there were 6,000 ballots in Arizona that were sent out by Pima County, ah, the infamous Pima County, that uh, didn't have the governor's race on them. Oh, well, uh, gee, you know, our printer just forgot it. And lots of others. I don't have time to go into them in this show. Go to ontherightsideradio.com when you're making contributions to these various candidates that I've been talking about. And absolutely take a look at the election fraud section of the news articles posted. I believe there's 10 to 20 of them. It'll bring you up to speed on the skullduggery, which is beginning to arise in advance of the election around the country. Keep your eyes open at these polls, folks. Get involved. But, you know, if the lies, if the nonsense, if the hiding in your basement and not debating, and if the voter fraud or election fraud is not going to be enough, then what do you do? Well, you have to plan, like, an amazing event, right? Something that gives you emergency powers that could perhaps delay or change the dynamics or the logistics or the mechanics of the election. Let me give you a few dots. You can put them together for yourself. So you have back-to-back nuclear armed forces exercises by Russia and NATO last week. You have Russia waving the dirty bomb theory you've heard about over there. You've had a deployment of our nuclear subs. In fact, one surface, just to let the world know, it was there in the Arabian Sea. Very, very unusual event several days ago. You have the movement of the 101st Airborne, say what? Into Poland and areas around Ukraine. In summary, you have America preparing its nuclear forces, and you have cadaver and crew doing everything they can to poke the Russian bear. And at the same time, you have our so-called intelligence services ramping up all sorts of propaganda, false flags, and of course, you know, as a sidelight, blowing up the Nord 1 and Nord 2 pipelines. Given what we're capable of, unfortunately, and the lengths that these people will go to keep power, and their lack of compassion for the rest of humanity, (laughs) demonstrated in all sorts of nefarious ways, what are the odds of them staging an event? A dirty bomb event, some other type of nuclear event, some type of movement by the 101st into the the Ukraine frayed directly, and then declaring a national emergency, you know, those emergency power acts, and somehow, you know, manipulating, I'll be kind, the election, or the dates of the election, or the manner in which the election is conducted. I hope I'm wrong on this, but I'm bringing it to your attention, so that you can think about what you're going to do in that instance, it might be time to muster.
Okay, folks, let's slam through some rat-a-tat-tat because we don't have much time left. So here we go. They're going to be quick. Remember, rat-a-tat-tat. You can read the full stories on the rightsideradio.com under rat-a-tat-tat. And anything to do with election fraud, election fraud, news articles on the rightsideradio.com. So MSNBC's Nicole Wallace, they think that we should bring in the United Nations or foreign countries to monitor our elections now that it looks like there's a red wave coming their way. And then McMarxist down there in Utah. Utah, get it together, okay? This guy is a Marxist, and he is pretending to be an independent. He's pretending to be a conservative. He's backed by Democrats. All the money is Democratic. All his people are Democratic Marxists. Mike Lee needs your vote. Do not split it. Do not vote for the Libertarian. Vote for Mike Lee. This is critical. You might as well be voting for a Democrat down there in Utah. You don't need another one. You already got Mitt Romney. And then throw away votes in any of these elections. Look, folks, you vote for who you want, but in tight elections, and there's a number of them with uh, the country at stake and your family at stake, you might want to think about throwing a vote at a Libertarian or some other party and instead throw it at the Republican. Brent Bean here in Wyoming, he should have won the primary. All sorts of skullduggery going on in that primary. Mark Gordon won it. He's the current governor of Wyoming. There's a huge write-in campaign for Brent Bean. He could pull this off. Murkowski did it in Alaska, if you remember, a few years ago for the Senate seat. That's now in contest. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Brent Bean, if you're in Wyoming, write him in for governor, B-R-E-N-T-B-I-E-N. That's B-I-E-N. Spell it right or the vote won't count. You probably heard about that canvasser wearing Rubio and DeSantis gear down in Florida in a Republican neighborhood. He was told he wasn't allowed in the neighborhood, and then he got the poop kicked out of him by four uh, kind of Antifa left-wing thugs. Actually, it helped Rubio's campaign. Up two points since that happened. Thank you, Democrats. And then you don't think that there's some fraud planned and going on. Here's Hillary, (laughs) our friend Hillary, talking about a right-wing plot to steal the White House in 2024. That's really a signal that they're trying to steal the 2022 elections. You know, blame you for what they're doing and what they plan to do, and the elections are right around the corner. Along those lines, a couple of really quick election fraud things. Remember, on the rightsideradio.com under election fraud, I probably have 20 articles, or the producers do, for you to read in detail. It will kind of uh, chill you. For instance, why are election officials in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, God, Pennsylvania is crooked, illegally mailing out ballots for the 2022 midterms before they tested the logic and the accuracy of the ballots? Hmm. How come uh, they just discovered a Dominion voting machine error code that they can't identify, that's kind of scary, and was found in Tennessee's machines and 97% of the counties in Georgia? Huh. Why did Fulton County, Pennsylvania again, file a lawsuit against Dominion voting systems for breach of contract in September? Why did the FBI try and hide for months that a Chinese CEO of a Chinese election software company in America was breaking the law. They finally arrested him. But, you know, this is the same uh, FBI and CIA and cadaver administration that wound down all the counterintelligence espionage operations against the Red Chinese shortly after cadaver 
took his quote-unquote oath of office. And then we have a well-known cybersecurity expert. He just identified a, quote, critical privacy flaw in the election infrastructure sold by Dominion Voting Systems, unquote. In other words, they get all your info. They know how you voted. They can change it. Oh, this is not good. You know, paper ballots, folks. That's what we need to be doing, paper ballots. Oh, and then Biden's out there, you know, once again, setting the groundwork for fraud, for excuses, for whatever. He's issuing a warning on threats to, quote, election infrastructure and midterm intimidation by mega MAGA Republicans. Ooh, yes. And then up in Alaska, you know, Mitch McConnell, it's time for him to retire. Okay, He pulled all the money away from Blake, who's now tied and moving ahead of Kelly for the Senate seat in Arizona, pulled $9 million. And instead, do you know who he gave it to? Murkowski. She's running against Tashiba. Tashiba is Trump-endorsed. Murkowski is, at best, at best, folks, a rhino. And do you know who's helping Murkowski? Yeah. Oh, Liz Cheney. Here's a tweet from Liz Cheney. Lisa Murkowski will always put country above party and do the right thing, even if it isn't easy. Please support her now. Who you need to support is Toshiba. You folks in Alaska, keep your votes for Toshiba. I'm telling you, don't be wasting votes on third-party candidates that don't have a snowball's chance in you-know-where. Then there's a guy by the name of Maloney in New York. Okay, He's in a district. He's a congressman. And he runs the DCCC, their, their whole kind of campaign arm out of uh, Pelosi's Congress. He's in a district that Joe Biden won by 10 points in 2020. Guess what? He's losing. Oh, you don't think there's a red wave coming? You don't think that there's some motivation out there for the Dem Marxists to pull up or pull off or plan and maybe have? A really sinister, really huge October surprise between now and the election. Desperate people do desperate things. Lee Zeldin, New York. He has now moved ahead of Holschel. Oh, she's just terrible. In New York for the governorship. Did you know that the Republican is leading the Democrat for the governorship in, of all places, Oregon? In not-so-good news... Apparently, the People's Liberation Army, you know, the Red Chinese Army, in 2019 began to recruit Allied pilots, fighter pilots, Air Force pilots, particularly Brits. They offered them $280,000 a year to come to China, train Chinese pilots on how to shoot down Allied pilots, you know, NATO pilots, American pilots. And actually, some of the Brits did it. And now it's a big coup-fa-fa over there in Britain, as well it should be. And by the way, China is really keen to recruit a UK or American pilot who knows how to fly the advanced F-35 stealth fighters. But Western intelligence operators are pretty sure that they haven't gotten any of them yet. Oh, well, that makes me feel so much better. In the meantime, Milley, you know, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he testified in Congress that this whole woke stuff that, you know, diversity in the military is necessary to the proper social functioning of the military. Folks, the Joint Chiefs of Staff are appointed by who? Oh, that's right, the president. And the president is able to wield power. Why? Oh, because of the Congress and the Senate and the courts. And who appoints the courts? The Senate. And who allows money to be spent? 
Congress. Do I need to tell you more about how important this election is? On the rightsideradio.com, go to Take Action. Send some money to these candidates who are in these very close races. They're all listed for you. It's just a click away. Do your duty. Get off the couch. Stand up. And we are out of time as always. And I think particularly now, two weeks from a very, very important election. Look in the mirror. Repeat with your family and repeat with absolute conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. All sorts of interesting things next week coming at you. And you keep the wind at your back.